just want to say to you today, if you are wondering, who is this Jesus that we are singing about? Who is the Savior? Um, his name is Jesus. And if you have never encountered him, if you have never experienced his love, if you've never experienced what it's like to be in a relationship with him, I want to invite you to do that today. There's something about Jesus that nothing else will compare to. And if you are here today, maybe you're not a believer, and maybe you're trying this church out, or you're trying Christianity out, or you're just going to be like, well, let's see if this is something that works for me. It's a struggle. I'll tell you right now, being a Christian is a struggle. It's not all easy does it and everything, but there's something about Jesus who conquered death, who paid for the price of our sins, and he's given us freedom. And so if you don't have him today, I invite you to come and receive him. And uh, you can do that right there where you are. You can come talk to me or anyone else in this church. But I just feel like before we move on, we want to we settle that. That this Jesus that we just sang about, he can be yours. He is yours. All right. Sermon within a sermon. There you go. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for this day. And I want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you... Uh, um, have rescued us through him. And now as we dive into your word and, and look at what you have for us, I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Joy. Now, if your name is Joy, I'm sure I have your full attention. And I don't know if there's anyone in the room today with the name Joy, but uh, I'm sure you're listening. But that's not who I'm talking about. I want to talk to us today about Joy. Every single one of us, whether we are consciously aware of it or not, we are all in search of joy. Not one of you woke up this morning and said, man, I hope I have a miserable day. I hope today is rotten. I hope everything goes wrong. You and I, we all want joy. Now look at the definition Webster gives us of joy. And, and when I read this definition, I'm, I guarantee you that all of you in this room are going to say, that, yeah, that's what I want. That's, that's exactly what I would love to have all the time. Look at what, how De, uh, Webster defines joy. He says, joy is a strong feeling of great happiness, a delight, a state or a source of contentment or satisfaction, anything which makes one delighted. That's what we all want. That's what we're all after, a state of delightment. You know, a state or a source of contentment or satisfaction. We love this feeling of being satisfied. One thing that I, like I said, none of you in this room want is to be miserable or to live miserable lives. And I don't need to know you personally, but I know this about all of you, and that's that you want joy. You want joy to be present in your life. And when it's not, oh, what a pain. <laughs> Isn't it? And don't you just hate it when you just feel miserable? And you just feel like, ah, what's missing? So I want to ask you a few things because we all want this joy. And I think the problem is, is so often we go chasing after it in all the wrong places. 
And when we do that, we put all our energy into something. We, we, we drive after something because we want to find joy. And all of a sudden we're like, hey, maybe that's going to give it to us. Maybe if I chase after that hard enough, then I'm going to find joy. Or, or if I only have that person in my life, or if only I had that kind of a job, or whatever it might be. And so we chase after these things. Why? Because inward, in all of us, inside all of us, is a desire for joy. I have it, you have it, we all want joy. So we often go looking for it, and unfortunately, too often we look for it in the wrong places. And so here are some places where joy in and of itself will not be found. It will not be found in unbelief. You know, I think some people may think, you know what, if I would just push all religion away, if I would just say there is no God, there is no religion, let's just, let's just abandon all religion. Then I don't have to worry about whether I'm pleasing some invisible God or if I'm doing things right. I can just push all religion aside and then finally I would just have me and I could have peace and I could have joy and I would have to worry about all that. But joy is not found in unbelief. There's a man by the name of Voltaire. He was an infidel of the most pronounced type. This man was so against religion, he wanted nothing to do with it. He pushed religion away. But look at what he said. He said, I wish I had never been born. So here's this man who, who was as far from God and who wanted nothing to do with religion or God. And yet his view was that I, he had wished he'd never been born. Clearly not a man filled with joy. It is not found in money or in pleasure. Sorry, it's not found in pleasure. Lord Brian lived a life of pleasure if anyone ever did. And he wrote, The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. It's not in money. Jay Gould, an American millionaire, had plenty of that. And when dying, here's what he said. I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. And yet he had a lot of money. It is not in position or fame. Lord Beaconfield enjoyed more than his share of both of those. And yet he wrote this. He said, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. It's not in military glory. Alexander the Great, probably know his story a little bit. Alexander the Great conquered the known worlds, or much of it. And when he was alone, he wept because there were no more worlds for him to conquer. So even though he had conquered the known world and, and he was ruling over much of the world at that time, no joy. So what gives you joy? I want you to think for a moment, what would, be, what would you write down if you had a, a question up and you had to answer that question what gives you joy? What gives me joy? What would be five things that you would write down as saying, these are the things that give me joy? Think about that for a moment. You don't have to answer out loud. But what are five things in your life right now that you would say, this gives me joy? Some of you are actually doing it. It's so cool. Okay, the rest of you are just staring at me because you're thinking really, really hard. Okay, here's the next question. What kills your joy? Same thing, five things. What are five things that you would list right now that would kill your joy? In other words, if, if these things were to happen, your joy would be gone. 
So you got your one list. Five things that give you joy, five things that kill your joy. Because I think it's important for us to look at these things and say, what is it that gives us joy, and what are the things that can take away our joy? And I want to look at a passage of Scripture today from a man. When you look at his life, you would think that this would be the last guy to ever write about joy. But I want to look at a man today, his name is Paul. And he wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. So I'd love for you to get your Bibles out or your phones or whatever you've got with you to follow along. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have any of those. But I would love for you to see this in your own Bibles. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 4. Here's what Paul says. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying here to us, I want you to rejoice. It's almost like he's commanding us. I want you to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. He didn't describe any kind of circumstances. He says, in all circumstances, in every situation, even if you're suffering, and we'll touch on that later when we look more at his life, we are to rejoice in the Lord. And I think that's the key, that it's supposed to be in the Lord, not by the Lord, because I think what we often think is that God's going to give us things. Jesus is going to come and he's going to give us things. And by those things that he gives us, then we can rejoice. But Paul's saying, I don't want you to think about the things that Jesus is going to give you. I want you to think about rejoicing in Jesus alone. So whatever Jesus gives you, whether he gives you something or whether he doesn't give you something, whether you have a good day or a bad day, the bottom line is this, that you can rejoice in the Lord. So Paul's not commanding us to rejoice because of situations. He's not commanding us to rejoice as a result of something happening. He's simply saying, I want you to rejoice in Jesus. I think this is where we often go off track. This is where we get distracted because we really believe that the circumstances around us are going to cause us to have joy, are going to cause us to rejoice. So think back again on the five things on your list that say, these are the things that are going to give me joy. The question you have to ask is, are those things permanent? Or can they be changed? Is it a person? Is it a job? Is it a situation? Is it a place? The things that give you joy, are they permanent? Because... If we are going to find our joy and if we're going to begin to focus on those things, then Paul is saying you may not have joy because it is only in Jesus and Jesus who is constant, Jesus who is always the same. So we need to have our joy in him because if our joy is in Jesus and in Jesus alone, then we will always have reason to rejoice because Jesus will always be the same. So regardless of what happens in our lives, regardless of the changes, regardless of the disappointments, regardless of people failing us, that in Jesus, we can rejoice. So I think what kills our joy is when we make something other than Jesus the focal point of our lives. 
when we make something other than Jesus the thing that we're chasing after, the thing that we're focused on, because we run after these things and we want these things and we, we just picture ourselves, if I can only have that, if I can only pursue more of that, if I can only have those things in my life, then, then I'll have joy. And yet all those things can be lost. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord because Jesus, Jesus will never change. I'm going to be very honest with you today. My sermon is, oh, I'm always honest with you, but I sometimes don't want to share personal things, especially not when we fail. But as your pastor, I'm going to tell you that I struggle. I struggle deeply with wanting to chase after other things. Man, I love stuff. I love things. I want to have things. And so sometimes it's like, if I could only have those certain things in my life, then man, it'd be so much easier to have joy. If I only had that, if I only had this situation, if people would only do that, then I'd be so happy. I'd be so full of joy. And I think we all are like that. That we all struggle with chasing after stuff and taking our eyes off of Jesus. And I think the thing that will kill our joy the fastest, especially as believers, is when something other than Jesus has our heart. Paul says here, do not be anxious. Why are Christians anxious? Anxiety is caused by the fear of the unknown. So what we do when we get anxious is we, we chase after more stuff. So what do we do? What do you do when you get anxious? Well, we focus on the fear. I know I do. So if I'm you know, anxious, I'm, it's the, reason, the reason I'm anxious is because I'm focusing on the very thing that I fear, and the, and the thing that I fear is the thing that's unknown. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And then he adds, as if though he knows that we will be, he adds this, he says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So he starts off and he says, I don't want you to be anxious about anything, but if you're going to be, in every situation, make sure that you bring your request before God. I love the word petition. He says, petition God. So the question I want to ask you is, what is the last thing that you have petitioned God for? Have you requested joy? Have you said to him, Lord, I want to rejoice in you. I want to experience you in such a way that no matter what happens in my life, no matter the circumstances, no matter what happens at work tomorrow, no matter my health, that I can focus on you, Jesus. So I petition you, Jesus, give me a sense of your presence so that in every situation I can rejoice. When you read this through verses 5 and 6 and 7, it almost looks like a formula. It's as if Paul is saying, here's an outline of things to do, so don't be anxious, and if you are, petition God, bring your request to God, and then he says in verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Do you think this works? Do you? Seriously, would you, would you believe this enough to say, hey, to someone, if you want to get rid of your anxiety, 
you want to get rid of the fear, if you want to get rid of the worry in your life, petition God. Petition God that He would become all you want. Petition Him to say that, Jesus, no matter what's going on in my life, may I just sense you present in my life. Paul's saying if you do that, then God's going to give you peace. A peace that you cannot understand. And I love this part. He says, I'm going to, He's going to guard your heart in your mind. A peace that is inexplainable. One that will give you more than a feeling of happiness for a moment. But rather one that will give you reason to rejoice. A peace inward that guards your heart to the degree that no matter what circumstances you face, you are going to be able to rejoice because Jesus is all you are focused on. Picture for a moment today your heart protected. This is such a big thing because if you're like me, your heart is often not, I don't, I don't protect my heart enough because my heart often is after things that it shouldn't be after. Imagine for a moment your heart and your mind protected, focused only on Christ. You see, I deal with anxiety. I wish I could say I didn't, but I deal with anxiety. It's not uncommon for me to wake up with panic attacks. And like most pastors, statistically, I'm right up there with other pastors. My greatest fear as a pastor is failing you. Don't you feel powerful? My greatest fear as a pastor is failing you. Having people not like me. And the thing is, I know I shouldn't. And so now you add guilt to the mix. And, and so that's my life. I'm sure you have yours. What's your greatest fear? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? What's the thing that wakes you up early in the morning? What's the thing that causes you during the day to panic? Is your heart protected? And Paul's saying here is, when you're anxious, petition God, and he will give you peace. A peace that's going to guard your heart, a peace that's going to protect your mind. So that you can, and no matter what the circumstances in your life, that you can know that you are in Christ. And no matter what's going on in your life, you are able to rejoice. So how do you rejoice? How do you rejoice when things are not going right? What's the secret? Because if you don't know Paul, if you're new to church and you don't understand who this guy Paul is, let me, let me explain a little bit. Here's a guy who used to go around killing Christians. He hated Christians. And then he became a Christian. And now the same people that he used to try to kill are accepting him, and he's, he's now preaching the message of Jesus to the, to the people. But there are now other people who hate him as much as he used to hate Christians. So life is not easy for Paul, and he's the guy writing this. And I want you to understand, he's not just sitting in jail saying, hey, I want you to rejoice. Because you're not in jail, so you can rejoice. You, you can have joy. You need to rejoice. I'm in prison. I can't because life is horrible for me. But you, you outside of prison, you rejoice. It would make sense if, that, if that's what Paul was saying, but it's not. I want you to look at the next verse. But before we read that verse, I want you to remember, here's a man when he's writing these words that we're reading, he's sitting in jail. 
Not a North American jail where there's air conditioning and cable TV and comfortable beds. He's not at a job where he feels like he's being underpaid or he feels like his benefits aren't good enough or his girlfriend just broke up with him and he doesn't know what to do or his parents wouldn't let him use the car or a cell phone company overcharged him on his last bill. This man's in jail. And the cloud that's hanging over his head is that he could very well be executed at any time. There isn't much reason there to rejoice. None of you would say, hey, on my list of things that give me joy, being in jail, possibly being killed, and the list goes on and on and on. Those are not the things that we would ever write down as saying, these are the things that give, give us joy. So like I said, it would make sense if Paul was writing to you and I who are outside of jail and saying, you rejoice in the Lord always, but me on the inside, I can't. But then if you turn to verse 10, all of a sudden Paul personalizes this and look at what he says. He says, I rejoice greatly. I'm sitting in jail. Haven't done anything wrong other than spread the message of Jesus. And he says, I rejoice greatly. Why? Is he being set free? Is there something here that we don't know? What great news is he going to receive that would cause a man who is sitting in prison to say, I rejoice greatly in the Lord? It must be then that those who, are, who have imprisoned him have seen the wrong that they have done and so they're setting him free and, and maybe they're giving him, him an enormous amount of money to make up for the suffering that they have caused him. Look at what he says, the rest of verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. (laughs) This sounds almost dumb if it wasn't so unbelievable. This guy's saying, here's what gives me great joy. Here's what causes me to rejoice greatly in the Lord. That those of you who are not in jail have renewed your concern for me. Ah, isn't that touching? You haven't done anything for me, but I hear you're more concerned about me again. Oh, that's good. But then he totally makes excuses for them. He totally lets them off the hook by saying, Oh, but I knew you were always concerned for me. Oh, okay, phew, I was beginning to feel bad, but now I, I see I don't need to. It's like, what in the world, Paul? You're you're saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. For what? That those of us who are not in jail with you are concerned for you? We haven't done anything to save you. We haven't done anything to rescue you. We haven't done anything good for you. But the news that you heard is that we've renewed our concern, that the people in the church had renewed their concern for him, and he's saying, man, that's enough to give me great joy. I think the reason it sounds so wrong to us is because it's so not like us. We rip on our friends when they don't return a text message. Man, oh, I can't believe they wouldn't text me back. You know, we get all mad when when they're not inviting us to movies. We feel abandoned. How could they go to a movie and not invite? Oh, I heard that everybody over but us. And we feel so wronged. And Paul here, he's sitting in jail and he's saying, man, you know what causes me to rejoice greatly? Just the knowledge that you are concerned for me. 
And look at verse 11. He just keeps making excuses for these people. And he says, but I'm not saying this because I'm in need. <laughs> to which we would all say, hello. What do you mean you're not in need? Paul, you're in prison. You're in jail. Don't you need a better bed? Don't you need better food? Here's one. Don't you need your freedom? Look at the way he says this. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, and I think this is the secret to joy, is I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So I want to say to you and I today, the secret of joy, or the secret to joy, is to learn to be content. If you don't have that word learned underlined in your Bible, I would suggest you underline it. Because I think that is the secret, to learn to be content. So as Christians, I want to say it to us as this, uh, this way. As a Christian, the secret to joy is to learn that Jesus is enough. The secret to joy as a Christian is to learn that Jesus is enough. That we don't need to chase after all kinds of other things. That we don't need to have all these other things in our lives. That Jesus and Jesus alone is enough. And that when we have him and when we experience him fully, that we can rejoice in whatever the circumstances are. See, here's the thing I know about all of you. We all want to be people who are content. If I was to say, hey, who wants, who wants to be content? Oh, man, pff, me. No question. I want to be content. It's the learning that's the problem. We all want to be content, but none of us want to learn to be content. You see, because it's just like when a child learns to walk, they have to fall. And a child's not going to learn to walk unless the parents let go and that child's going to have some tumbles. And some of them are worse than others. But in order for a child to learn to walk, they're going to have to fall. Or at least be in danger of falling. So we all want to experience what it means to be content. We all want to be people like that, but none of us want to learn the hard way. So we insist on getting what we want. We insist on having all our needs met. And if we do that, we will never be content. We will never learn to be content because we are never willing to do without the things that we feel we have to have. So we are people who want to be content, but unfortunately, often, unlike Paul, we are not willing to do without the things that we feel we need. And yet, the secret to joy is to learn to be content. Check this out in verse 12. Paul says, I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then the next verse, verse 13, this is the verse that I think we often take so, for, uh, so out of context. And yet it's a verse that as soon as I start reading it, you're going to all be like, I've heard this one before. 
Check this out. He says, verse 13, I can do all this, or in some translation, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I'm sure you've all heard this verse. But you see, the way we like to use this verse, we use this verse as a, as a means to, we can conquer anything in the world. And so if you feel like God's calling you to something, you, you would quote this verse and say, man, you know, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. And so someone might say, man, I don't know what, how you're going to get through that. Well, hey, you need to remember, you can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. We use this verse and we use it so out of context because the reality is this. Paul is writing this in the context of learning to be content. When's the last time you've said to yourself, I know I can learn to be content because I can do this through Christ who strengthens me? Probably never. Because we always think that we need to conquer, we need more, and man, if I could only have more, what if, what if I could do with less? And the only way I could do that is through Christ who strengthens me. What if I could actually learn to be content, not on my own, but that I would actually petition God and say, God, help me to be content. So help me to do with less so that my focus is only ever on you. What an amazing thing to strive for. To learn to be content. Imagine for a moment if every Christian in the world would learn that Jesus is enough. And he is enough. There would be no more affairs within Christians in their lives. We as Christians wouldn't be cheating and stealing. We wouldn't be spreading rumors. We wouldn't try to constantly outdo each other. We wouldn't have to live in sackcloth and you know, be super poor, but we would say, Jesus, you're enough. And whatever the circumstances in my life, man, we're going we're gonna to strive to live as good of a life as we can, Jesus, but I don't care about any of those things because you're enough. And I think the reason so many Christians are anxious and the reason so many Christians have lost their joy is because they don't know the last time they have really considered Jesus to be enough for them. There's always been this desire to have Jesus plus so much more. And then eventually we don't know what we're focused on. So Paul is saying here, the secret to being content is, is knowing that Jesus is enough. So the question you and I have to answer for ourselves today is, are we willing to learn this? Because in order for us to learn that Jesus is enough, listen carefully to me, he may need to strip away some things. In order for you to learn that Jesus is enough, maybe he needs to strip away some stuff in your life. Stuff that you think you can't do without. But see, here's the reality. When we find ourselves in a situation where we don't know what to do and we, we wrestle and we chase after the things that we hope will give us joy and we, we long to have happiness and, and fulfillment and satisfaction and we chase after all these things and then all of a sudden, all those things are gone. Guess what we do? We run back to Jesus. Well, what if we would never leave to begin with? 
What if you and I would say as believers, you know what, those things are amazing, and if God blesses me with those things, awesome, I'll take them. But I'm not going to pursue those things because Jesus is all I need to pursue, and he's enough. And so matter, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situations, no matter what's going on in my life, the one thing I'm running to always is Jesus. So are we willing to learn to be content? Are we willing to learn to say, Jesus, you are enough? The truth is we can learn this because Paul says from prison that I can do this through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. So I'm going to invite the team to come up as we, as we wrap up. I want to challenge you today as we sing this closing song to ask yourself, what would it be like? What would it be like if you would teach your heart or if you would command your heart to strive after nothing but Jesus? What would your life be like if you would learn that the first thing in everything, the first thing in everything you do is the pursuit of Jesus? Because you see, Jesus is good. He is love. He is peace. He is joy. He is Lord over all. So no matter what you're going through, he, he is all those things. And the reality is this, that he doesn't change. Because, you see, all of us want something good in our lives. All of us want love. All of us want peace. All of us want joy. All of us want something that's going to have control, something that's going to give us stability. And yet so often, we're chasing after all the wrong things. We went to Belize, Maria and I, my wife, we went to Belize, and, and that was fun. Would have been nice in January or February, but hey, we'll take it. And one of the things that we, we did is we sent our kids to Winnipeg. And so they flew to Winnipeg all by themselves for the very first time. <laughs> We're chicken parents. It scared us so bad. And so what you can do is you can get a boarding, you know, they got their boarding pass, and you can get a gate pass where one of us can walk them to their gate, and then you have to let them go. And they go get on this plane all by themselves, and they were old enough, they didn't have a chaperone, and so they went on this plane, this big jet, all by themselves, and the service was fantastic. And then they got out of the airport or out of the plane in, in Winnipeg, and they walked through the airport all by themselves, and, and they had to go out of the door and downstairs where the baggage claims was, and there waiting for them. And then the whole process reversed itself and they came back. And there's Marie and I, mom and dad, looking through the security glass and we see our little kids coming. And in that moment, that glass is such a huge barrier. It feels like it's a foot thick. And these kids finally see us and, and they come running and one of them tried to dodge right through a security door they're not allowed to go through, and they got yelled at, and oh man, that kind of ruined the, the moment a little bit, but that's okay. They came running around the other way because they're running to their mom and dad where they don't have to make decisions anymore. 
where they're safe and they're protected. Some of you need to do that to Jesus today. You're running after all the wrong stuff. And you need to know that today your Heavenly Father is like us down here saying, Run, man, run! Take the wrong gate, I don't care. Go through the wrong door, just get to me. Just get to me and I'll hold you and I will guard you. And I will protect you. And you will have joy like you've never had before. But it's something we got to learn. It's something we got to learn to do. And one of the ways you're going to have to learn to do it is you're going to have to let go of some things and recognize that the secret to the joy that you really want is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So run. Run into the arms of Jesus. May your heart sing to no other name than Him. You can do this through Christ who strengthens you. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much. Oh, I thank you, Jesus, that you have arms wide open. And you're a father who waits for his children. And when they tried, Jesus, they tried to push the kids away. You said, let them come to me. And to this day, you are crying out, let the children come to me. Let my children run into my arms. So I pray for us today as a church that we would run with all we have into your arms so that we can fully rejoice.